Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And if you've been listening to our podcasts lately, you would know that we are in a, a, a series on man and woman, or biblical manhood and womanhood. And we're on, oh man, where are we at now? We've done uh, four, so I think this is our fifth episode in this kind of mini-series. So we, we started with an episode on hermeneutics, which is basically a fancy word to say, uh, this is how you interpret your Bible, or how do you interpret the Bible Hermeneutics is the that fancy word to uh, answer that question in a sense, um, and so we we started uh, this this series w- with hermeneutics. With if we're gonna have a discussion on what the Bible tells us about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, it would probably be a good idea that we at least know how to how to interpret the Bible. <laughs> how do we actually come to know what the Bible is actually saying? Because uh, we again. We, we truly do believe that God has spoken truthfully and authoritatively to us through his word. Uh, and he, he's spoken in a way that we can understand. It's, it's, it's not as though he's, he's spoken in, in just these kind of riddles, weird, like mysteri- mysterial or, uh, mysterious way that's just nobody can really understand. No, he's spoken clearly uh, to be understood. And so there certainly are some principles, though, that we have to employ to, to come to— uh, understand and and that's just the case with any type of uh interpretation of what people are saying um and you know when when i listen to somebody uh, like my mom talk to me i don't even realize it but i'm employing certain principles to understand her correctly even to the point of like looking at her body language and listening to her tone of voice and things like that so there's principles that we talked about, and you should really go back and listen to that. If you haven't, if you already have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I don't want to labor that too much right now because we've got other things to get to. But then we went into Genesis 1 through 3, uh, talked about uh, what you know what God's design was in the very beginning before sin even was a thing in the world. What was God's design and intention for man and woman? Uh, and how he created them, and, and what roles he had them doing in this relationship that they had in the garden, and so that that's that's extremely, extremely, extremely important. Uh, it might be the most important uh, episode that we have in this series because what what you're going to see us doing is we're going to continue to draw from or go back to that pre-fall, pre-sin uh, design. This is how God designed it in the beginning. Uh, this is how He made us fundamentally. Uh, so we have to, we have to understand that and we have to, uh, we have to, yeah, have a high view of Genesis one through three. And certainly if you have a low view of Genesis one through three, meaning, oh, this isn't actually historical. This is just some, you know, poetry figurative language that's just symbolic and actually doesn't correspond with reality. Well, then you have a problem. <laughs> so we really do have to have a high view of Genesis one through three and a historical view of it. Uh, but then we went into the Old Testament, and we showed how uh, this pattern has continued, uh, this pattern that God has started and instituted in, in creation has continued throughout the Old Testament over, over thousands of years, even though sin has entered the world. So even though there is this thing called sin that really jacks everything up, we still are called to uh, live according to this good design, and we see this pattern of people living according to this design uh, in the Old Testament, and we see God still acting and making decisions uh, according to how he designed man and woman. That's, that's a big deal. And then we uh, moved into the New Testament, 
And in the New Testament, so far, that's where we're at now, but we've, we've touched on the Gospels and Jesus. Uh, what do the Gospels say about, about man and woman? What does Jesus uh, say about man and woman? And the thing is, is what you'll notice is he doesn't actually have really explicit uh, statements uh, about the role of a man and the role of a woman like you would see in the Pauline epistles. And we'll get to that coming up here because we see Paul actually saying explicit and decisive things about the role of a man and the role of a woman. Um, Jesus doesn't necessarily do that, but we see him acting and engaging in the world according to the pattern. And Dan's going to, Dan, I'm just going to hand it over to you and you're going to kind of explain to us a little bit more about that, what Jesus was doing there in the, in the gospels and, and, and kind of where we're, we're going with it from here on out. Yeah. Um, you know, even as you talk about creation, probably a, a construct that's helpful that people use is the idea of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Sure. You yeah. kind of summarize the whole story. We have creation, and then we have this miserable fall that created these problems, and then there's redemption, and then there's going to be a final consummation. The only reason I bring that up is what you were just saying, Sam, just piggybacking on you, is that obviously as Jesus comes on the scene, though it's already been being prepared for centuries, as Jesus comes on the scene, it's a restoring. You know, it's a, it's a bringing us back, if you will, to the garden. It's, it's the mo- yeah. movement towards pre-fall, if you could say it that way. And certainly we're not getting there today, but by the time you get to the end of your Bibles and Revelation, we're back in the garden, right? We're back into a yeah. new, new heaven, new earth, back to the garden, back to the tree of life. And yeah, so, yep. so there's this beautiful picture. And so um, that's what's going on here. Um, just a couple thoughts I was thinking as we kind of get into today. I think, right, today... Um, Maybe segue off the Gospels. We're going to touch on the early church in Acts, what we see unfolding, kind of leading right. a, leading us up to Paul, and then right. and then in weeks to come, let's specifically deal with some texts that Paul writes because they seem yeah. to be, they seem to be the lightning rods per se. Or <laughs> and again, what we've been saying is it's kind of interesting that they're lightning rods because for thousands of years they weren't. I don't think, from what I know. It's like, right. It's like it seems to be now a lightning rod. So, yeah, and that's part of the introduction today. Again, the thing, I, I brought it up last week, and I just have to tell you, like I've been studying this. I've been looking at lots of texts in the scriptures. You know, I've read a few books of that are commentaries, if you will. You know, we've mentioned that, a few different books mm-hmm. that have been hel- helpful to us as thinking through these outlines. And and, it, and what struck strikes me again is just like, Okay, so we're so much, and it kind of probably gets, maybe people get tired of it. We talk a lot presuppositions, presuppositions. Like, what are we going to come to the table with? What do we begin with? And we say, we're going to begin with God and the Word to the best we know how. And yep. and that's and the reason I bring that up is just simply, like, again, when we're, when we're reading through this and having this conversation even today, you have to kind of stop and think about this, like, even as we get into the, you know, uh, we're going to talk, touch on Jesus again today, but as we move into the early church, um, there's been this pattern from pre-fall that we've emphasized that just you can't get away from. And, right. and even when I say pattern, there's words we could put with that pattern. But even that, I get a little nervous about the words. Let me tell you why. Because, because of connotation. Mm. Okay, connotation is the idea of using a word but putting meaning into it. 
Yeah. So, so in fairness, uh, as an example, I don't know why this just comes to my mind. Jehovah's Witnesses will use the word Jesus. Yeah. Mormons will use the word Jesus. People all over our culture will use the word Jesus, but what they put, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but what they put into that could be something very different than I put into it, right? And obviously, above that, we could just use the word God, right? G O D. Like, you could put lots of stuff into it, and it becomes a, a connotation word. In other words, you're using the word, kind of the concept, but it's really not talking about the same thing I'm talking about, right? And so we have these words in this discussion that become incredibly weird and sensitive, like headship patriarchy or patriarchalistic i saw a thing the other day and it was automatically like this assumption that patriarchy is this bad thing and it's like right. it's it's a connotation you're putting all this stuff into it and then like we're trying to unravel that a minute and go okay and so even when we say this pattern okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say the pattern from a biblical perspective and I can only hope that somebody listening to this will listen to all of what we're saying before they put too much meaning into the word, okay? It's, head right. sh it's headship. It yeah. is headship. It's this male headship idea. Right. It, 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 and as soon as you say that word, people get freaked. And I have a bunch of ideas why people get freaked. And maybe we'll get there through the podcast and then the applications. <laughs> um, but, but the point in saying all this is, is get your mind around this pattern, okay? So we're still kind of in the Gospels, moving into the early church. So just think zero in our calendar. You know, 1 AD, 33 AD <laughs> is Jesus. Now, yep. think back, and you're realizing that that minimally, like we said, we're, this, this podcast isn't getting into the whole debate about, cre you know, dating of the world and all that sort of stuff. But minimally, minimally... The beginning of this whole thing is 4,000 years B right. B.C., minimally, okay? And then you kind of get up to 17 B.C., 1700, excuse me, 1,700 B.C., and Moses is writing about creation. Mm. Then you move beyond 1,700 B.C., and you get to, again, zero, or let's just make it simple, get to 30 A.D., and we've got Jesus talking about it. And right. so, so basically, I mean, again, just stop as you're listening to us and think about this. We're talking about 4,000 years, not 40, not 400. Even the other night, politically right now, here we are, we're in October 2020, and there's a debate about Supreme Court justices and all this stuff. And, and they're saying, hey, we've had a precedent for 150 years, right? Which is a long time, but like, we're not even talking that. We're talking about <laughs> 4,000 years when Jesus comes on the scene and and time and history and cultures and languages and all this stuff in humanity. And yet, as we kind of went through when we talked about the Gospels, he just keeps reconfirming. Well, he does two things. Number one, he refers to the creation account as the basis. Yeah, he does that. Jesus actually did that. He actually refers to the creation account as we really emphasized and he emphasized it, not just that Moses wrote it, but it was the very words of God. Yeah, and, and, and it was historical. It was real. Like, just yeah. like Jesus actually refers to Noah Noah and the ark and the flood as I an know. actual historical Well, thing. he even refers to Jonah. Yeah. And the whale. And it's like, uh, you know, Jesus sees these things as historical, folks. Like Historical, real, actually happened. And it's not a problem because yeah. grief. He's he's raising people back from life. He's calming stormy seas. He's turning water into wine. Yep. Why on earth 
when when he is God, would it be an issue that mm-hmm. that God could miraculously flood the entire earth or have a giant fish uh, eat Jonah and have him survive in the belly for three days? Yep. Good grief! <laughs> like oh, yeah. he made right. he made man from the dust of the earth and yeah. breathed life into him. I think he can handle these uh, yeah. these minor so, miracles so, here. So the point is, we got Jesus, you know, four thousand years at least minimally into this thing, and he's just confirming all this stuff, affirming it, confirming it, however you want to look at that, use that word. Yeah. But the point is, is that like the pattern hasn't changed, and and he grounds it in this historic story. Okay. Yeah. And. So once again, we'll get to some other things here, but um, I think the point is, and you use the term, Sam, again, I don't know how it came up, whether it was you and I talking together, but I, I, I enjoyed it. It's a great metaphor. You, you know, you talked about pulling a rabbit out of a hat, meaning you almost got to do something tricky or really kind of twist some kind of text to kind of come up with something <laughs> different than that pattern. And yeah, and, and, and I'll give the, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there and just say, okay, there's an academic theologian, uh, biblical scholar that may be not trying to trick somebody. They may sincerely see some something in a passage that we need to reflect on. I'll give you that. I actually would give you that. You still are stuck with the fact that, let's say you come up with a verse and you go, hmm, and we'll talk about that. Well, you know, maybe why, why was it put that way? Could it have been that the woman, you know, this whole disruption of the pattern was coming to play? Well, The problem you have is, again, this is why I'm emphasizing all these years. You're talking about a pattern that's held for 4,000 years when Jesus comes on the scene. And and we'll get to it again today, too. Another thing is that Jesus had no problem being countercultural because Jesus is God. And so he has no problem speaking the truth, even if it's in contrast to a culture. The point in all that is it would have been, if if the pattern was to be disrupted, if headship was to be disrupted, he could have he could have done that, and it wouldn't have been outside other things that he rattled, and and then further, I guess the point I'm making when he talked about the rabbit out of the hat, apart from somebody actually trying to trick somebody, you you're gonna have to come up with some significant evidences, like a bunch of them. Yeah, to and dis- they have to be almost like is is Ex- smacking you in the face, Ex- like. explicit, right? Explicit. Yep. And the problem we're going to get to, and we'll, we're going to, you're going to see a bunch, a bunch of like segue today, transition from gospels to early church, and we're going to kind of leave you with Paul, and we'll come back to Paul in a, a, the next podcast. But yeah. you know, come back to specifics of Paul, his texts and epistles and stuff. Um, the pattern just continues. That's that's the thing you're going to see here. The pattern never changes. And yeah. and if you're going to okay, and again, I could say okay, well maybe God wanted to change the pattern. Show me. Like, let's go to the text. Show me in the scripture this disruption right. of this pattern. Like, like right. explicitly show it to me. And I, you just can't do it. That's the problem. Right. Again, you, you can't. So, and here, go ahead. Here, I was going to add something to that. Here's yeah, a, go. Yeah. I got, I got two things to say. It just yeah. popped into my head. Yeah. Um, one, when it comes to uh, using, th- this is a, another hermeneutical principle type thing. Yeah. And, and this can be what what you might call the air of proof texting, okay. uh, where okay you have this 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 point that you're trying to make, and now you're going to try to find a text, and you're going to pull it out of context, you're going to pull it out of the the context that it that it resides in actually in in a book in a paragraph whatever, and then you're going to say here it is see there it is boom 
And we'll get to that later on, some of those, what those texts are. But that's not the point right now. The point is, is that, uh, again, if you're going to overturn this pattern, you have to use a text that is actually in the context of speaking to the role of man and woman. So what you'll find is that people will use a text that in the context, it's actually talking about salvation or or the kingdom of God or these other things. Mem- it's not mem- actually mem- talking about mem- membership, membership, membership in yeah. the body. The, yeah. So, right. So, again, a, a good example of of this type of thing, and it's it's unrelated to uh, it's unrelated to this topic of manhood and womanhood is Matthew 18. Uh, I can't remember the exact verse, but it's where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be with them. You know, Jesus uh, says that. And, oh man, if you've been in the Christian sphere long enough, you have heard somebody quote that a thousand times, especially like in a prayer meeting or something like that. They'll say, oh, you know, they'll be praying, oh, Jesus, you say we're two or three are gathered in my in, in, in your name, there you are with them, and this is awesome that you're here with us. And certainly it's true that Jesus is present with uh, his people and even present with you because the Spirit lives in you. But that text is actually in the context the context of church discipline. So it's, it's more of where two or three agree on something in my name, my decision, or you could say, is there, there with you. Like, again, I won't get into that a lot, but the point is, is that that's not actually in the context of of gathering together uh, for a prayer meeting or something like that. It's, it's actually in the context of church discipline. This person has done something wrong, and where two or three agree that this person has done something wrong, their Jesus is in the decision, if that makes sense. Way different. Way different. So I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm just I'm thinking, you know, people, right, people use that. It's on a Hallmark card. It sounds like kumbaya. And, oh, man. and it's like, well, actually, no, it's a little bit, hard, a little bit yeah, more it's difficult. Like, it's like way different than what you're trying to use. It's it a for. little more difficult than that, right? Yeah. Oh, so that's the point I'm trying to make is, is that, okay, we have this clear pattern grounded in creation that Dan has been talking about and we've been talking about and the Bible has been showing us about the role of man and woman. Um, and again, that, that pattern is male headship. Which we correspond to the fact that man is is has the authority, uh, you know, women subordination. That's another connotation where that oh man, people just whoo, and yeah. the, and the, our culture is automatically made subordination equivalent or equal to. You even think of it, subordination equals inferiority. Uh, no, that's not what it means. Or demeaning. Never does that. Or demeaning. Or demeaning. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean that. You made it mean that. You say it means that. It doesn't mean that in the Bible. And so you cannot impose your man-made definition on that word when you read it in the Bible or when you see that that pattern in the Bible. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You <laughs> can't. It's a oh, <laughs> I'm getting all jacked up. But we're only in like do. ten minutes. I know. <laughs> and here's what's funny. Okay, so people wouldn't know this unless they listen to other ones. But when Sam and I do this, it's audio, right? But like we're looking at each other on a screen so we can coordinate with each other. You know, a Zoom kind of process here, right? Yeah, we're you okay. Know, so we, why we I'm la- why I'm laughing? You got to realize, like I'm just about old enough to be Sam's grandpa. I guess I don't know. But, <laughs> But yeah. I'm just watching him, and I say, yeah, 
the name of his podcast. By the way, I'm a guest here. This is his podcast. So if you don't like it, blame him. But <laughs> so, but but seriously, I love watching you because I start laughing because the name of your podcast is Preach and Persuade, and it's like. I could. You're preaching. I'm watching you preach. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like you're well, just. I, yeah, I live in Fargo, North Dakota. You live in in you know just south of Lawrence, Kansas. So yeah. we're you know hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Cool. Yeah. It's cool that we have technology to do this. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm all by myself right now, sitting in my office. There's nobody around me. Here, and you're I'm, preaching away. I'm getting pre. I'm preaching. I'm getting animated, and just my hands are all over yeah. the place. And, and and oh. and I can't laugh at you because I do the same thing sometimes. I just it's fun. I'm sitting there watching you. Like, oh yeah, you're getting fired up. You're jacked up. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, so uh, okay, I got one more thing to say. Okay, so that go. was that first thing I was going to say. Second yep. thing I was going to say. Okay, re- repeat the first because we might have get lost everybody there in our joviality. Oh. <laughs> I don't even remember what the point I was trying to make. I thought I made it. Um, um. Uh, well, I I remember the last thing I said is you can't you can't take a word, put your own meaning in it, and then say that's what the you know means in the Bible. Blah 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 blah. Oh, I was saying if you're going to overturn the pattern with a biblical text, that biblical text has to be in the context of that discussion. If you get what I'm saying, so if I'm going to overturn the pattern of you know male headship then I actually have to use a text that's in the context of the role of man and woman or male headship or the relationship yeah, yeah. between a man and a woman, yeah. that type of stuff. I can't just take a text that's in the context of something else like salvation yeah, and then bring it over. Yeah. So that was the first point I was going to make. The second point I was going to make is that, so, I mean, think of it, you, you, we've heard that, the analogy and it's it's a, it's actually really helpful but it's the you know the two ditch side you know you have you're on the straight road and the, you got two two ditches and you know some people are on one ditch oh man and they correct oh they figure out they're they're in a ditch so they correct but they overcorrect and now they're in the other ditch and so there's ditches on both sides you could say of a of a truth and so think about you know this 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 pattern and God's design for man and woman as a straight road or this line. You could even draw a line. And, and then, so if you draw a line on your piece of paper, and then you draw like a squiggly that goes over the line and then back over and just kind of like curves over the line. So you can imagine like that's a car, like, oh, overcorrects, back into the ditch. Oh, comes back over the road, back into the other ditch, and back and forth. It's like, so during the time of Jesus... You could say that the culture, though it was, it was, this is true of any culture. There are parts of a certain culture that may be, you could say, accurate or more closely corresponding to God's design for his world. This is his world and his universe. But then there's going to be aspects of the culture that are just wrong. And, and, and they're, just, they're just objectively wrong. It's not like, oh, though, that's just what they do. No, it's objectively wrong. It's objectively wrong that our culture today allows the murdering of babies in the womb. That's objectively evil. And that part of our culture is wrong and must be addressed. It's objectively wrong that the tribe in Papua New Guinea does cannibalism. That's not just their truth for them and they can have that for their culture. No, it's objectively wrong. Now, there might be aspects of their culture that actually is, in a sense maybe right in certain areas. So 
when we look at Jesus interacting with women in the Gospels, it's going to be countercultural to the things where they're wrong. And then, and so you could think of it, they're in one ditch, and in, they're in the ditch of, you could say, uh, uh, oppressing women, because they really did have a low view of women. That's actually kind of true. And so, to them, it's going to be this whole type of radicalness where Jesus is actually uh, lifting up women and saying, no, women are actually, you know, equal in the best sense of they're equal as the fact that they're image bearers of God too, and they have equal dignity, and they have equal right to salvation, and they can be my disciples, and they can follow me, and they can receive blessing from me, blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of what we got into last week, and we'll touch on it a little bit more in this one too. But today, as we're talking about this issue, our culture is in a different ditch. We're in the other side of the road now. And so when you hear Dan and I talking, we're talking from the other side in that no longer is women necessarily thought to be inferior in this culture. Women are now placed at this 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 total what we what we would call equity beyond just equality in the biblical sense to this equity. They need to be exactly the same as men in every single way, including role. And so we're looking at it from this egalitarian culture now. Steer, trying to steer back to the road uh, from the other direction. And the issue is is that is that some people will they're, they're in the ditch in this culture and they're trying to to say that this is the road, that where this ditch is right now is the road and everything else has just been this ditch on this one side. And that's what the that's what the egalitarian um, feminist type scholars are doing. They're saying, no, this ditch that we're in, we're actually on the road. And now we're going to try to use scripture in, in weird ways and take it out of context to show you that everything else is actually a ditch and not this road. Maybe I'm getting taking that analogy too far and now I'm confusing people. But nonetheless, hopefully that helped you understand of like, there's a reason why Dan and I are talking a certain way in a sense where we're, we're kind of focusing in a little bit on, on the role of a woman, if that makes sense, especially in the Gospels. We're, we're, we're focusing, we're giving more weight, or, or not, I shouldn't say more weight, but more attention to those, those uh, interactions that Jesus has with women. And that's because our culture right now is in, is in this ditch where, where uh, this egalitarian ditch where women are exactly the same as men in every single way, including role. So, 2,000 years ago, the culture might have been in the opposite ditch, where women were actually thought to be lesser than men. So, that, that, that's what I'm trying to say. The biblical truth is, is usually and almost always countercultural to, to any culture in any time. And we want to get to the biblical uh, the biblical view. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that's that's my two points. I maybe okay. went too long on making those points, but nonetheless. No, no. And so, you know, I would just add to that a little bit, Sam, a little bit of color for me to color in the lines a little bit. So Yeah, yeah. I didn't know we were going to go to all that right now, but what comes to mind? <laughs> I know. It popped into my head. Well, no, this is, <laughs> this is the nature of these podcasts. It's a riot. Like, it's... It's been fun. <laughs> no, I've really enjoyed this. So, um, uh, my point is, is what we're addressing, though. To your point, you said, uh, you said the problem is not 
I don't know how you just said it, but you said something like the problem is not, you know, women being oppressed. Now, let me just stop in that point. There would be some women listening that's going, oh, yeah, but we are oppressed. And sure. And so here's my point. I want to be careful about this. Listen clearly. Right. We're talking about an ideological idea. Certainly, right. certainly people have personal experiences. And I'll bet there's women that are listening to this who feel like they have been oppressed. They, something has oh, happened. Oh, and they truly are probably. They truly are. That's what I'm saying. So I want to be careful right, when right. you say they're not. No, no. We're talking yeah, that's about. A, that's a great clarification. Yeah. Right. The clarification is, please understand, we're talking about a secular, cultural Secular means other than God, other than the word. We're talking about an ideology that's out there in our world today that we're we're having conflict with. Right. At least Sam and I have conflict because we think the Bible stands opposed to that ideology. Right. And the reason, and I mentioned it earlier in the introduction, I said, oh, maybe we'll come back to that. So let me just mention it quickly, and my guess is we'll still come back to it. Part of the reason this thing becomes this muddy water discussion, think about everything Sam and I've talked about, if you were to go back and listen to the beginning. First of all, okay, remember everything was created good and, and it, there was this harmony and this co-heir, co-dominion of man and women in the garden. And when we see co-heir, co-dominion, both created in the image of God, both with great dignity, both with giftedness, uh, uh, Adam couldn't do it without Eve, and yet there were still roles the roles were, mm-hmm. were real. It didn't, it didn't take away from their equality in the sense of who they were as beings created in the image of God and what they were supposed to do. Now, as we've been saying right along, the thing that jacked it all up was the fall. Okay. Right. But remember in the fall, we touched on it. A couple things happened. And, and God said, you're going to be under a curse now. What are the two things that happened? Well, Adam threw Eve under the bus and she's never going to trust Adam again. And so inherent, if you will, to a degree, it's bell-shaped curve. People understand bell-shaped curve. It means the majority, there's always exceptions, but the majority view is is because of just the sinfulness within a woman, she's not going to trust a guy, even though before the fall, she was created to completely trust the guy, trust God, trust, trust man, be in harmony. There was no alienation. There was no relational conflict. There wasn't any. Mm-hmm. Well, how could she trust a guy now? Well, the fall is already, there's a seed within her of rebellion against God and rebellion against everything God's instituted. That's within a woman. From the get-go, she comes out of the womb that way. Okay? <laughs> right. She's conceived in sin. At the same time, we as men, males, have the same deal. Read the, the text. We're gonna right. we're gonna either wrongly uh, be too passive, or we're gonna be wrongly too dominating, too crushing. Uh, I mean, it, it forewarns this: the alienation's real. We got our seed of rebellion. Mm-hmm. So before we can even even have this ideological discussion about manhood and womanhood, think culturally. This whole thing's already preloaded for conflict. Before we don't even have to have an idea on the table. We've already yeah, got yeah, the, yeah. the problem already exists. Okay. Secondly, then it does become a failure, and we've been addressing from the beginning of what we call autonomous man. Whether you're a woman listening to this or a man listening to this, there's something within us. It's our rebellious, it's the seed within us that we want to operate independently of God. Right. And so we're going to come up with all sorts of ideas. Third, then, obviously, because, say, a culture or society is made up of 
fallen human beings, <laughs> these autonomous man ideas take on, they're embodied in people and they become quote-unquote ideologies, that is full-blown systems of thought mm. th that influence a large group of people, i.e. a society or a culture. And in our case, what we're dealing with, and going to your point, Sam, is that we live in a post-Christian secular society. We call it postmodern times. Okay, it's just, right. it, is, it is what it is. And within that, a, an ideology that has dominated the whole system is feminism, which is a wrong view of women, contrary right. to God. Now, maybe some woman thought, I'm trying to correct that I was dominated by a man somewhere. Okay, I got that. I got that. But feminism's not the answer. No. And but, even as a rule of thumb, anything that has an ism at the end of it is likely well, yeah. probably not yeah, quite right. It, it, isms <laughs> become problems, right? So so maybe somebody, you could say in some virtuous way, was trying to correct something, but now they've overcorrected, as you said. Now we're in a different ditch. Yeah. And so the problem, what we're trying to regain, is we're saying, okay, before we can solve this, have a discussion about it, we've got to go back to the beginning. Who is God? He spoke to us. Let's set the map on the table. Eventually, as we worked our way down, and we've been alluding to it in all these podcasts, talking about um, applications, we have to think about application, meaning what does this mean for me? Where do I need to repent? Where does Dan Redmond need to repent that he's doing this wrong? And sure, yeah. get back, and you too, Sam, and get back in You're line. Right. Get back in line with what God says. But you first have to say, what does God say? Right. And then we can figure out the application. So that's all meant to say, like coming back to your example, Sam. Yeah, we're in a, a particular ditch, if you want to think of it that way, a particular way of looking at this. And so the minute we begin to bring about the word of God and talk about it, certainly to a non-Christian world that we live in, this is this is a pushback. It's It looks like sexism. It's you know, it's like sexism is a terrible thing. It's like, no, sexism right, right. is actually sexism, if you want to use that word. Male and female, different beings, different different roles. It's a good thing. God actually says it's a good thing. I know my culture doesn't say it's a good thing, but God says it's a right, good right, thing. Right. right? I mean, it's just weird. Right. It's, it's crazy. Right. It's crazy. And so so coming back full circle or, or all the way back now, let's go back to Jesus. We're coming off the Gospels, Okay. And it's interesting when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are real men, okay, who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to write as real men, and yet the very words they write are carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine, mm. okay? And that's the truth. That's the reality of how we end up with our scriptures. So each writer of the Gospels has a, a human element by which when they're writing, they may be emphasizing something or coming from a certain perspective. And so as we're segueing off the Gospels into the early church, which is the book of Acts, the book of Acts is written by Luke. And we also have yeah. the go Gospel of Luke. Okay, right. so, it's a, so, And it's a two-part series. Yeah, it's a two-part series, right? They're in harmony. They fit together. And so right. what you'll find in Luke, interesting, one of the lenses that Luke brings to the table, and remember when I say we say Luke brings it to the table, it's not really Luke, it's God through Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God is trying to make an emphasis here, and here's one of the emphasis you see. Luke is uh, has a special interest in the lower status of human pe persons, low, people right. in lower status, which in that culture now, 
in the early church, well, just prior, say just prior to the early church, if you want to think of it that way, the Gospels, you know, uh, 30, 35, 40 AD, 50 AD, the beginning of this whole thing, right after Jesus, you know, the Gospel of Jesus, uh, as, he, as, as Luke is writing, after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Luke has an emphasis, which is interesting now. This emphasis is countercultural. Mm-hmm. And the counterculture is Luke has a great emphasis on women. That's the point. He actually really does. He actually lifts up the, and makes women prominent in his writings. And, right. and uh, he does it in a number of ways. Uh, one is that there's these, it's an interesting uh, study. Um, I guess there's like 12 of these pairs, but like, He'll emphasize uh, something done with a man, and then he'll turn around and give the parallel uh, of something done with a woman. For example, you have, uh, you know, Simeon, Simeon in the temple uh, yep. when Jesus is brought as a baby, and then you have you have Anna, or yep. you ha- you have um, uh, Jairus's daughter raised from the dead. You have the widow's son raised from the dead. Right. Uh, you have a persistent friend, presumably, obviously a male. You have a persistent widow. And Luke yep. is always offsetting, hey, man, woman, man, woman, man, woman, man, woman. And in fact, he highlights numerous of Jesus' uh, specific illustrations uh, kind of pointed at women. He's using women as the illustrations. Now think about it. Here's the point. And I think, Sam, you had some of these. Maybe you can go through a couple of them. But, but here's the bigger point I want you to catch. that This would have been countercultural. That's the point. Is... You have to remember, Jesus is God. Jesus speaks the very words of God. Jesus right. hasn't. Jesus, Jesus is here because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? John 14, 6. Uh, he is the Logos. He is the very word of God. My point in that, again, mm. get your mind around Jesus. He has no problem being countercultural when he needs to be countercultural. <laughs> he's not here to accommodate to a culture and go oh well i kind of got to get fit in with them and somehow figure out how to make what i think (laughs) no (laughs) jesus had no problem going no you're wrong no you're wrong he's the author of life yeah i mean like guys you got that one wrong you know you pharisees you've used the old testament and you say you know xyz but i tell you (laughs) yeah jesus didn't have a problem okay so here's one of the areas jesus didn't have a problem he didn't have a problem lifting women up right. and showing women having this proper, prominent place, pre-fall, co-heirs, co-dominion. He didn't have a problem in the world doing that. No. And so I think you had a nope. few, you two, few, when we talked about this, Sam, I think you had a few texts you like on this. Go ahead, jump on a couple yeah, of those. Yeah, they're in the middle of Luke, and in the middle of Luke, you just have a lot of parables, and it's, it's really great. It's really a great chunk of Scripture. Um, and again, he, let me preface this with, some of these are, are used because Jesus does give a, a women uh, an incredible position in while you know using them to illustrate some theological points, uh, some people today will go back and, like I've been saying, they'll pull a rabbit out of a hat with these and say, "See, see, see, look what he's doing." And you go, "What are you talking about?" 
he's talking about the kingdom of God here. He's not talking about overturning a biblical a pattern of man and woman's role. So, first one I want to look at is uh, Luke 13, 20 through 21. So, the context, again, important context. Context is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God really is a pretty prominent theme in the, in the gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus is the promised, you know, Messiah. He is the, the Davidic heir. Uh, the Davidic throne in Jerusalem is his, uh, and he's also God. So Jerusalem is, is, in a sense, represents the place where God dwells with his people. And then, at the, you know, you can kind of think the center of, of, of Jerusalem is this temple, and the temple, even more so, is the place where God dwells with his people. So as Jesus is entering uh, uh, Jerusalem, you know, in the, middle of, in the middle of Luke with the triumphal procession, uh, he's really, the king is coming to his city. God is coming to his city, and the king is coming to his city. And in every way, Jerusalem is, is Jesus's. It is his. It's his because he's God. It's his because he's the king. And they reject him as the king. And so all, you know, this, this is a theme. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Jesus is coming to, you know, to bring the kingdom of God, uh, but it's a, right now it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not this physical. Uh, I can see it with my eyes kingdom, which is what the the Jews were under the assumption. They thought that this was going to be some physical kingdom right right away, and that Jesus was actually the Messiah was actually going to come to actually conquer uh, their their physical. Uh, enemies at that time. So they thought that the Messiah, if he was going to come during that time, was going to come and conquer the Romans. Uh, no. That's the second coming of Christ is going to be to come uh, to physically to conquer and, and rule. But the first time, it's a spiritual uh, bringing in of his kingdom where he saves souls and they, he brings souls into this kingdom. So that's the context around this passage. Luke 13, 20 through 21. I mean, it's super short. Says this, and again he said, "To what shall I compare the kingdom of God?" So he just got done saying that the kingdom of God was like a like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in its garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So here he's saying that the kingdom of God is something that starts extremely small and will expand greatly and become this ginormous thing. So we know that the kingdom of God started literally in Jerusalem. Jesus chooses twelve disciples, twelve apostles. And now, look at the kingdom of God today. Now we have millions and millions of Christians. I mean, technically, people who profess to be Christians is, is a few billion, I think. Like three billion, maybe. So, again, I don't... I think that most of those people probably aren't truly Christians. But nonetheless, there's a good chance that there's a millions and millions and millions of true people who belong to the kingdom of God because they have been saved by Christ. And so we can't see it physically in a sense, but it's it's a spiritual reality. So that was the mustard seed. Like, man, Jesus in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 12 disciples, and now it's millions and millions of people? Again, that makes sense. Mustard seed, giant, giant shrub. But here we have another one. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Is like leaven. That a woman took and hid in the three measures of flour, and that was all leavened. So here we have Jesus using a woman as the main actor in this in this uh, in this parable, you could say, or the story, you could say, 
or this metaphor. And that's kind of an important thing. It's countercultural. As he's speaking to his audience, like, okay, one, he wants to, he, I mean, he uses women in his stories because he also wants to reach women. His audience is not just men. His audience is women. So to use women in his stories would help reach part of his audience. So he used both men and women in his stories and in his parables. Great. That makes sense because he's he, both men and women belong to the kingdom of God. So he uses a woman. And part of this, too, is why he would use a woman in, the, in this, this specific parable is because... In, in, in general, like during that time, who were the people that that made the bread? Women. So it would have culturally, in a sense, made sense that if he was going to try to have this parable make sense to his audience, then it would be a woman putting the leaven in the bread. That just makes sense. So. That's basically it. It's not this text isn't saying anything about uh, about overturning the pattern of biblical manhood or womanhood. It's saying uh, one, you could say Jesus uses a woman. Uh, it, it helps reach his audience. It makes sense to his audience because again, he's speaking to a specific time period, a specific people. Um, so that's certainly why he would use a woman. In this in this uh, story, but two, this actually has nothing to do with with the role of a man and a woman. It has to do with the kingdom of God. And in this specific one, the flour is like the world, and this leaven or yeast you can think of it as is the kingdom of God or Christians who belong to this kingdom. You don't really see them in the flour, and they're there though, but they're having an effect on this flour. So us Christians are, are dispersed throughout the world. You can't really see us in a sense. It's hard to really say, okay, here's the kingdom of God, but we are working and we're having an effect on the world. You can think of it too as like we're the salt of the earth. We're, we're this light on a hill. Uh, we're also this, this leaven in this, in this flower, which is the world. So that's what that's, what's, that's teaching. It's teaching about the kingdom of God. It's not teaching about the specific roles of a man and a woman. But Jesus does use a woman in the story. Yeah. And I think I think the point is you'll see a bunch of this. We could continue to labor the examples. Labor may not a good word. Just re- open them up. You can read it for yourself. But here's, right. the, here's the cool thing about Jesus, okay? So I have a, a few things to say here and then to the point and then kind of segueing into the early church. Like, and I think we said it sometime before too for some reason in this series. Like, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is God, and so he's perfectly holy, perfectly just. We see him speaking truth. We see him turning over tables in the temple. At the same time, kids crawled all over him. Yeah, yeah. He was totally attractive and lovable. I mean, like, I mean, it's pretty stinking cool, you know? And then, on top of that, I think the point here is that not only was Jesus not afraid to speak about women, address women, spend time with women, but like women adored him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of, you know, uh, the prostitute coming in, mm-hmm. bowing at his feet and washing his feet with her tears and her hair, certainly repentant, certainly was confronted by her truth, certainly under con- great conviction. And she totally adored him. 
And by the time you get down with Jesus' ministry, it's interesting. You know, we, we have these passages that tell us about the apostles and how they scattered. They were all afraid. And, <laughs> and, and this could be a little bit of an argument of silence, but certainly the Gospels and even Luke makes a point of saying, hey, women stayed at the cross and watched what was going on. The women that were associated with Jesus very much were part of the, you know, beating their breasts, grieving over what they were seeing, in addition to caring for the body of Jesus. Right. And so Jesus had no problem having all sorts of devoted women followers, disciples, if you will. Disciples different than the word apostles, obviously. But the idea, though, he had these devoted women were at his side right to the end. Right. And so... I think the, the, the point of all this is two or three things that I think of a summary or a segue to the early church. Number one, again, we already said this, Jesus is God, y'all. Like, he is the creator. He is the second person of the Trinity. It's a profound reality that Jesus was fully God, fully man. We're not here to, you know, uh, yeah, that's good enough. But the point was, he was because he's God, he obviously is outside of culture. He transcends culture. So Jesus has no problem of correcting things that need to be corrected. In that, recognize that in that culture where women were low status, he lifted women up, which actually did nothing but affirm the original creation. Right. Um, lifted women up to the point that this most profound evidence of all time called the resurrection, it was women who were the first to testify at it. We already brought that up. Yeah. So he brought women up with great dignity, uh, you know, their position, they were co-heirs, they were co-dominion. And yet here's the point. He never abandoned the biblical pattern of male headship. Again, don't put words into the don't put words in my mouth and don't use it as a connotation word. I'm talking about male leadership taking the initiative in their role, supposed to do that in a you know, we've already talked about it, and then women coming alongside of that, not as um, uh, uh, less than or or less than equal, but just different roles. It's not it wasn't a big conflict. And everybody no. and in this scene, here's the point. When you read through the Gospels, we get to the end of the Gospels, we look at what's going on here, okay? The pattern of male headship is there, and clearly it's not viewed from God's lens, God's vantage point, what God created, and he's calling us now to be transformed and adopt his view of reality. It's not demeaning. No. It's not demeaning, and it's not a threat to women. No. See? And... And so, again, our goal is to get our lives, our minds, our understanding in line with God. Right. It's not to say that it's always been done right, just like we did in the Old Testament. It's not to say that I've done it all right. Sam, you're not even married yet, so I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you've stepped on some women wrongly. You probably have. Uh, or not responded rightly. I mean, we all, we're sinners, man. But, like... We still right. have to get the standard of God before our eyes. We have to get what he says is reality. We can't be autonomous on our own saying, well, I think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks, okay? So with that then, if we segue now into the second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have any more there, Sam? Because I was going to segue. Well, into... I mean, I, 
there's plenty more, but we don't. We've gone long enough. We, I mean, okay, we yeah. have the whole last one on the gospel. Let's keep going. Let's get into Acts a little. Yeah. Bit so, here. so when we get to Acts, we're going to go to the Acts now. That's also written by Luke. So you could say it's the second part of his book if you want to. Luke right. the Acts. What you're going to see, okay? So, um, I love preaching on Acts as a whole, as like a survey, because you have to understand what's going on here. Okay. So now this is going to be the inauguration. What you. Uh, of this, what we call the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You could call it this kingdom coming to earth and now starting to grow and develop. Uh, you go to the first chapter of Acts where they're asking Jesus for 40 days, spends time with his apostles. Others are probably there. They're listening to him talk about this kingdom of God. Yep. Pumping them up almost is how I say it. Like they, they're like 40 days. They're hanging out with him and listening to about the kingdom. Of Eschatology 101 with oh, Jesus man. for 40 days. Yeah. <laughs> and then they even say, which you realize is a little bit, you know, Jesus probably set it up this way. I mean, he's, he's the genius, right? He's God. My point is this, is they ask this question. So is now the time you're going to set up your kingdom? Right, so obviously whatever he was doing maybe even led them to come to that conclusion. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of discussion there. But the point being is that he said, "That's not your business. Your business, yeah. your business is this." And he gives Acts one eight. Your business is to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, yep. Judea, Samaria. He actually said, "The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world." Yep, that's what you're to be concerned about. Now. What you then see unfold in Acts, and you'll see why I'm emphasizing all of this right now when we get to this discussion about men and women being God's idea, is that the theme in Acts then is really it's this work of the Spirit of God. The presence of God comes on people. And you see in the first message preached by Peter that he's like, this is what the Old Testament was trying to tell us through the prophet Joel, and then he gets into this, is that the Holy Spirit's going to come, the very presence of God's going to come, and uh, it's going to come on all people. Mm. I mean, he actually says that. Like like men, yeah. women, he lists it. He says right here, uh, uh, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Mm. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And he goes on and says, the point being is this. So what happens in the book of Acts is a reversal, okay? It's actually a reversal of the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, man thought he could set up his own tower, set up his own world, do his own thing the way he wanted. He could get God to do his bidding for him in his way, meaning his, meaning man's way. Man had a unified language, this unified purpose, and the purpose was to rebel against God and mm. do it apart from God. Oh, we'll kind of include him a little bit on this, right? You know, It's like, oh, yeah, right. God says, no, I'm not having it. <laughs> and he busted the whole thing up, different languages. It absolutely went haywire. Okay, right. So what do you have here? And I, I could preach on this, and I probably I won't labor it more than this. But the Holy Spirit comes, the presence comes, and what happens? First of all, there's a universal word, a universal message that actually goes out, actually in many different languages, but wherever it goes, it makes sense to everybody. It's, it's a divine 
reality that this message makes sense to a guy in North Dakota, in Kansas, and Sam, you've been with me. It makes sense to a guy on a mountain in Ethiopia who was 106 years old when I met him. It makes sense mm -hmm. to people from every single walk of life. It's a universal message. It's a universal language in the sense that it makes perfect sense to everybody. It's divine. And it actually demonstrates that this comes from God. No man could come up with this. Secondly, then, it brings a unity of all these peoples. This was the great confusion on the early on. The Jews are like, hey, wait a minute, we're God's people. What's the deal? Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. God's going to have a bigger people than just you. It's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation. You see it culminate. Yep. You see it come to a, a crescendo and an amazing picture in the book of the Revelation, you know, uh, what, seven, nine, a few other places, all tribes, all tongues, myriads upon myriads from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham in, in uh, 12, 1 and 2 and 3, that through Abraham, he was going to draw all people to himself and make one people out of all tribes, tongues, and nations. Well, that's what you see happen in the book of Acts. It starts unfolding now. And again, it's a universal message and it makes a unity of the people. Okay. Yep. Now, Here's the profound thing. We can't get into this entirely today. I think, Sam, you and I already addressed this back when we talked about uh, a couple different podcasts, one about unity and diversity, and the other podcast about uh, coveting and gratefulness. I'd tell people to go back, and I don't know what those numbers were, but they're on your website. Yeah, your higher 20s, somewhere up there. Okay. The point in all that is simply that like, God created this perfect unity without losing diversity. That's what's crazy. I mean, the whole world right. today is talking about diversity and unity. And when the fact is, once again, it's just like the Tower of Babel. Man thinks he can do it on his own, and you can look around us and see the chaos. The only, the only unity a culture can come up with apart from God is totalitarian and force everybody into one mode. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, they say they want diversity. Well, you, it just doesn't work. But the, beauty, yeah. but the beauty of God, and I'm not trying to go back and redo a podcast, is that he brings together a unity while not losing the distinctiveness. Right. That's what's so amazing. There is a diversity. There is a distinctiveness. And yet, we're all the same. We're all unified, right? That's the picture of Acts. And so I hope you can even see where I'm tipping my hand. Here's Luke who continually, again, inspired by God, meaning God, the Holy Spirit speaking through Luke, emphasizes this reality of this gospel going to every type of person you can imagine, with every type of care you can imagine. And the gospel starts spreading. Now, here's the point. Acts begins once again with the apostles. The pattern Jesus held, the pattern for 4,000 years. There's the pattern. Judas had betrayed Jesus. Judas went and hung himself. Who do they replace Judas with? A man, Matthias, right? Yep. You go through Acts, and who do you find is the leaders, the, the leaders in the churches? You find elders. You find leaders. What are men? You find men. 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 You find men. Yep. Yeah, this inner circle of Paul. You know, Timothy, Titus, Luke, Barnabas, John, Mark, Silas. Uh, at the same time, you see couples, Aquila and Priscilla, Adronicus, yeah. Junia. Not a problem. No. Nope. Acts 13, you see tremendous diversity. The leadership, the elders in the church in Antioch from different walks of life. You mm -hmm. know, uh, a Hellenistic Jew, a former Pharisee, 
uh, one known as Niger, which is probably a black man. I mean, you could go, it's a huge diverse, and yet the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set up hope, ball and Barnabas for the work that I have for them, right? Right. What's the deal? You, the leaders there are men. Paul and Barnabas are men. Paul's main men, people are men. And yet, and yet, once again, if you read through Acts, who plays a prominent role in the entire mission? Women. Yeah. Very much. In fact, the first convert in Europe is Lydia, a woman. Right. So what do you find? You find women are disciples, countercultural. You find them with tremendous hospitality, which sort of fits really seriously with this image we have through Scripture of women and caring and nurturing mm -hmm. and something about their nature. So you find hospitality. You find good works. You find prayer. You find worship. Oh, you find witness. We talked about this before. There's not a problem with women going and testifying and, and pre preaching the gospel to people on a campus no, or whatever. There is nothing wrong with a woman telling a non-believer man the gospel. It's, it's all, uh, it, okay, uh, that they received persecution. They received hardship, but they worked in tandem with their husbands. Uh, they provided money for the missions. They provided food for the missions. So the point was, is all of that was contrary to a secular world who had women as a lower status, but within the church, the women were lifted up and given a very high status. And yet, yeah. let's say it, it again. It, you could say the status, really, according to their design. Yeah, good. Nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing further or or more. Uh, nothing that's like unexpected from what how God designed man and women to function together. Anyway. Yeah. Right. It's all there. And so it's all there. And then it comes back, like we said earlier with Jesus, yet, yet, there's no change in the pattern that we've been talking no. about. That's None. the issue. You don't see female elders. You don't see female leaders. They're, they're co-leading with their husbands in a wonderful way, right? You have Again, you have Aquila and Priscilla. You have pe men and women participating together. But when it comes down to this pattern of apostles, elders we'll get more to that and paul you get uh, uh these leaders this roles that we keep emphasizing the pattern of male headship and roles here um you don't see an overturning of the pattern you just don't see it. you see it consistent with the same pattern we've seen uh at this point now for over four thousand years so yeah. so as we go to the early church and eventually it will segue into other podcasts where we're going to deal with specific verses, I think, Sam, is where we're going to go, right? Like at some point, exactly. we're, we're going to deal with some actual texts of Paul. Let me just make a quick survey of, of Paul in the sense of this. It's very interesting that Paul um, uh, in uh, uh, Kostenberger's book, they have a nice little beautiful little chart. It's called God's Design for Man and Woman. And in there, they have a chart, which I really liked. It was it said it was labeled Paul's New Creation Theology. But I really liked it because it's interesting. Like everything Paul writes about, and we'll get to this, but just as an overarching uh, perspective, it's very interesting that everything Paul does, just like Jesus did. We've already said Jesus grounded everything in Genesis and, you know, in the historicity of the Old Testament. Paul yeah. does Paul does the same thing. Everything yep. that we're going to go to with Paul is grounded in Genesis. It's unbelievable. Like he referred, you know, he even refers to Genesis. It's it's 
you know, Je- uh, Galatians 3 is, uh, you know, humanity created male and female. Right. Genesis, you know, Galatians 6, a new creation in Christ, new creation. It's, you know, it's Genesis. The image and glory of God, women made from man. That's 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to see that. There it is from Genesis. 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation in Christ again, all tied to this creation, this beginning with God. Ephesians 5, one flesh, one union. Where's it come from? Genesis 2. Genesis. So the point is, is Paul is, is, again, totally immersed, informed by this biblical, if we were to say, this biblical view from beginning to end. The same thing that Jesus did. And Sam and I can't even begin to, you know, I mean, we would crawl on our faces and grovel in front of Jesus and Paul. Right. <laughs> My, but you know where I'm going, we're doing the same thing. My point is we're doing the same thing. We're saying, let's start with Genesis and see what it says. And let's work through and see what God says throughout the scriptures. And those all right. become the building blocks, but right, which we're building on. And so right. Paul has this same building block. And so what you find is that the building block is the creation account where God made man and woman co-equal in the image of God with different roles. He didn't remove their distinctiveness. He didn't like no. dismiss the distinctiveness. And I, we're not going to get off on this right now, Sam, but this is, isn't this interesting? This whole thing is so muddy. When I was studying this, Sam, I couldn't, I couldn't get, you know, again, we're here in October 2020. I couldn't get around the fact of this huge debate right now of stuff we're dealing in our culture, not just the woman thing, but the you know the the race issue and all of this, and it's very interesting. Again, if I could say this, talking about a road with ditches, right? Like, yep. There's this unity reality without a loss of distinctiveness. So for me to get together with my comrade in ministry, Wallace Francis, who's a black man and I'm a white man, and uh actually go oh yeah you're a black dude oh yeah you're a white guy and actually joke with each other about some of our idiosyncrasies or stereotypes that sometimes actually play themselves out and yet and yet and yet like we're on our knees at the cross together man like like you know uh like wallace said it's not just that we're on our knees at the cross like get on it (laughs) get on the cross (laughs) You know, you know, I mean, I mean, he has so many wonderful statements, but my point is, is that what you find in the body of Christ, that's so wonderful that the world tries to mimic and has got it all screwed up is that it's a unity. It's an equality in human beings created in the image of God. And yet there is distinctiveness and it's not, yeah. it's good. It's not right. And, and, and there's distinctiveness in, 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 uh, giftedness in resources there's a distinctiveness you know what there's a distinctiveness in privilege i hate to use the word of our culture but there's no doubt in my mind i have certain privileges you know in fact wallace and i had that discussion he said well of course i'm privileged i was born in america i I am born in the land of the free home of the brave i got a chance to hear the gospel i mean wallace i have privilege you know it depends on what we mean by that but we all do to i mean we've been all given giftedness we all been given gifts providentially from god and i'm not like you sam you're not like me we don't and we're not supposed to be that's the craziness no. and so we can hold up our distinctiveness and obviously in this conversation men and women are different and it's okay it's awesome 
Well, and it's just it's just so bizarre. This is just so bizarre. Yeah. Because the differences between man and woman and woman is so blatantly obvious. <laughs> this isn't like yeah. this isn't like something that doesn't confront our eyes and doesn't confront yeah. our experience and doesn't confront like the differences between man and woman confronts everything. It co- confronts biology. It confronts our everything. Like yeah. from the from the, the molecular level to the looking at uh, the DNA of a man and woman under a microscope, difference. Yep. Differences. Yep. And yet it's celebrated. Those differences are celebrated in the scripture and they're given yep. their proper place. That's the point we're saying. So God designed. So if we were to kind of wrap this up and move us to Paul. Paul and Peter in, in, yeah. in Titus, yep. once yep. we get to the New Testament epistles, they're directing, they're actually addressing specific questions and concerns, and we'll get to those. But yeah. at, this, at this point, understand, if you said the theology, theology is simply like the categories, like you bring all the verses, you put them on the table, and then you come up with a theological statement that encapsulates or embraces all of that. Theologically, yeah. we have this beautiful unity under the headship and lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet it doesn't lose its its distinctiveness. It doesn't lose its right. diversity, and that includes male and female. Oh yes, it does. And that's you know uh, you probably have more to wrap it up, but that's kind of where this whole discussion led us, in my mind. Like, so yeah, no, I don't really have anything else to say about it. Um, you know, here's again, we've been we've been purposely trying to be uh, vague on application to this point because um, like we've said we want to put the pieces on the table we wanted to say look, look let's look what the Bible says um, and we're gonna get to application what well, what you'll start to find though is that we're now we're really getting to our our experience in the fact that Paul when he's making these statements that we're gonna look at in the next episode and probably multiple episodes because there's a lot of there's a lot of texts that we that are wonderful that we want to look at and we don't want to be uh, we don't want to be overly broad or vague we want to kind of pick them apart a bit um, but Paul's Paul's writing now to the church to churches and to leaders in the church Timothy Titus which is where we find ourselves, even though it's 2,000 years later, we find ourselves in a, in a similar situation in the church, leaders in the church, you know, things like that. So though we're still, in a sense, putting the pieces on the table with the with these epistles, it's going to be very – it's going to be a lot more applicatory, you could say, than the, than the previous ones have been, the previous episodes. Because now we're – Paul's actually addressing, in mm-hmm. a sense, application-type things yeah. for these churches and so we're not too application yet because we're actually going to have episodes just really just on application for our present moment in time and in in, in our culture yeah. but it's going to be a lot more application oriented than our previous episodes because he's actually talking about real ways that we interact and do things in our church and in our families which applies to us <laughs> and uh so yep. I just want to say that like it's going to get more apl- application oriented now. It just has to be because mm-hmm. we're getting close to our present experience. Um, but again, if you if you just jumped in on this episode, I would hope that you would go back and listen to the other ones 
we're we're being very we're being very intentional. Like we're being very intentional to to draw this out to to be systematic and linear in our approach to put everything on the table before we come up with our final conclusion. Uh, you know, and again, we're being very intentional with that. So before you you know listen to our last episodes or our, you know our application ones or even this one and then come to a conclusion on whether you agree or disagree with us uh if your disagreement is to have any sort of integrity to it it would have to be formed off of the fact that you've listened to every episode we've already done on it so that you get everything that we're saying um, and then you can make your, your uh, assessment. <laughs> and we hope that the assessment you would be making would, would be less on the fact that, oh, I just, just disagree with Sam and Dan, and, and, and the fact that did they actually accurately represent and teach what the Bible says? And if they did, then I have to come to grips with, am I willing to disagree with the Bible? Less on you know, disagreeing with Sam or Dan, like be a good Berean. Paul brought the gospel to this, to Berea and these, these new Christians, these people in Berea, they went back into the old Testament scriptures and they checked Paul. And what they found is he was actually teaching what the old Testament said. Yeah. And so here we're trying to be as biblical, you know, going to the, into the Bible, like showing you in the Bible where these things are opening up our Bibles and reading the Scripture. And I urge you to be a good Berean and check us. Open your Bible with us. Read it along with us. Write down these texts that we've been referencing and mentioning and read them yourself in context again. Don't take them out of context. In context. Check check our use of context. Did we take a passage out of context to try to get it to say something that we wanted to say? And we're saying you can't do that, and we're we're saying pretty convicted that I'm not doing that. But make sure we're not doing it. Don't just take our words for it. Um, but again, we're holding to this ultimate presupposition that God has spoken and revealed truth to us through the Word, and that is authoritative for our lives, and that we must submit to it. I have no right to make up my own truth for myself, none at all. But that's what. That's what autonomous, that we've been saying autonomous man wants to do. And I think of Romans 8. Like, the person who's living according to the flesh cannot submit to God's law. They're hostile to God. They cannot please God if they're in the flesh. So, that's what the non-Christian wants to do. They want nothing to do with submitting to God's word. They don't want anything to do with it. And so they'll try to pull rabbits out of hats, in a sense, and do all these mental gymnastics to try to make God's Word say something that it doesn't so that they can somehow justify their sinful life. Or, Sam, Sam it, the, the, I want you to keep preaching, but um, the other side of it would be uh, those that would say they're Christians. And I think, you know, many, many are. They put the Bible um, co-equal on the table, at least in practice, with other ideas that they have from whatever yeah. field of academics or study, whatever you want to say. Right. So the Bible, yes, anthropology. Yeah. Those are the latest ones. Psychology. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> those are the ones we're dealing with. But like, right. absolutely, absolutely, and we've we've touched, I mean, labored that pretty intensively in other 
discussions, but on authority, authority would be a good one too. That could almost be a precursor to this too, the one before hermeneutics we did authority. Yeah, what's our ultimate authority? Right, because we're saying that our authority needs to be the word of God and everything else is not on some uh, also authority sitting on the table. The Bible is sufficient. And so right. we're trying very hard at starting there and laying laying the groundwork. So, yep. Praise well, the Lord. Praise the th- Lord for that. I think yeah. absolutely. I think we'll wrap this this episode up. Um, I'm ex- I'm really excited for the next handful. <laughs> Who knows how many we go? Because uh, again, we're we're opening up our Bibles. We're actually going to look at the texts. W- what do they say? How does it, you know give it? And then we'll get to how does this actually apply to my life right now? Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, just to say one last thing, what you, what you're gonna realize though, if you once we really get to the, the the exclusive applications part, the more you're living according to our culture, the more that this is really going to assault your life in a sense. You're it's gonna flip your life upside down, and it's gonna be hard. It really is. We're not saying that this is gonna be an easy thing to live according to how the Bible has said you should live. It's going to really assault your life if you're living in line with the way the culture defines man and woman right now. You just it lost really a bunch. Hopefully you didn't lose a bunch of listeners. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Uh-oh. Show my hand. Dang it. <laughs> oh, but I really mean that. That That's just the way it is. Jesus, yeah. you look in the back to the Gospels. Oh man, I'm still preaching. Here we go. Uh yeah, you know, Jesus had hard teaching, and it says in the Bible. And then all these disciples left him, and then he looks at the, his own his, his twelve that he picked. Are you two gonna leave me? That's John six, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, John six. Do you remember what they said though? It's always been striking me. Do you remember what they said? This is hard teaching. How can we? What is we don't, exactly this? In a sense, I'd say this: We don't really understand what you're talking about. It's right. really tough. Yeah. How, however, who else has the words of eternal life? <laughs> it's oh, yeah, like, that's what, yeah, that's what his disciples said. It's yeah. like, where else are we going to go? Okay, right. we got questions and we don't have it fully figured out, but you said it. And so yeah. I, I guess I have no other source. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, look through Luke 2, the cost of discipleship. Picking up your cross, you're, whole families are going to be split apart. You're going to have to count the cost. Um, but yeah, I'm showing my hand now. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's what we got for this one. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you listen. I hope I didn't scare you away and you listen to the next ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, they, the, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for you know if you made it to this point, you've listened. You've listened to the Yola, the whole episode, so thank you for listening to this whole episode. <laughs> uh, and if you've enjoyed it, or if you've learned, or even if it's challenged you, I really encourage you to share it with a friend, share it with a family member, um, do whatever you want to do with these episodes. Share them on Facebook, I don't care. But again, thank you for listening. Tune into the next one. Bye.